You're about to listen to Office Hours with me, Georgia Howe. This is a weekly companion series to PragerU's popular five-minute videos, where I explore various political and cultural topics with PragerU experts, asking questions and digging deeper to bring you perspectives that you may not hear in a traditional college classroom. To watch the video version of this series, click on the link in the description or go to dailywire.com. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Georgia Howe with The Daily Wire. Today, we sit down with international libertarian broadcaster, TV presenter, and author, Gloria Alvarez. Gloria's new PragerU video is titled, Who Celebrates Che Guevara? Where she discusses the communist revolutionary that has somehow risen to pop culture icon status. Despite his racist, homophobic past, the left and pop culture still adore him. But why? So let's find out. Gloria, nice to see you again. Nice to see you too, Georgia. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your audience. So Che Guevara has become a symbol of counterculture, particularly on college campuses. And just to give a few examples, UCSD has a Che Cafe with a Che Guevara mural. UCLA in 2019 had a professor emeritus give a lecture comparing Che Guevara to Jesus. Um, And there are some celebrities who've been seen with Che Guevara shirts, Shia LaBeouf, Jay-Z, Daniel Radcliffe. So why is that? I think he's very popular because nobody really knows about what Che Guevara did. Unfortunately, the only, let, let alone that people don't like reading books, because if you go straight to his diaries, you're going to find these entries about how he despised blacks, uh, gays. Uh, he was even a misogynist with some women. Um, but but the fact that nobody even reads his diaries and in pop culture, you only have the romantic version of him, right? Like the motorcycle diaries. But then there is no um, real work on what he did in Cuba, in Congo, in Bolivia, how he um, killed people with no previous um, trials and how he was a despot who actually confessed to his father that he loved to kill. So I think that the first reason why people love him is because they don't have any idea who the guy is. You know, it's like wearing a T-shirt of your favorite music band. But then when you go and you ask the young people, like, where do you get that? What are the the famous songs of this band? They have no idea. The the same thing happens with Che. So Che Guevara has this long storied history throughout Latin America and abroad. Can you give us an abbreviated version? So he lives Argentina, where he grew up as a bougie, as you say in English, like he was part of the upper upper class of uh, Rosario and Buenos Aires. He used to play tennis, to play golf, like his family was no poor. And, and this shouldn't be a surprise. All socialists, all communists never come from the poor uh, classes of society. They come from this bourgeois kid who don't understand economy, who think that by giving things away, magically by giving free stuff, then you create wealth. And he goes in a a long trip all over South America where he does witness uh, injustices that are mostly caused because there's a state mercantilism, because there are monopolies uh, that constrict the economies from true free markets. So you have these oligarchies exploiting indigenous peoples in Peru, in Brazil, in Bolivia. And he witnesses this, but still his dream was actually going to the United States. He writes in letters that his dream is to arrive in Mexico and then go to the United States so he can work. Unfortunately, in his travels, 
he meets Fidel Castro. He meets him in Guatemala and uh, they start planning the communist revolution. This is where Che like changes his mentality completely. And when they finally arrive in Cuba, he starts with a thirst, thirst for blood and a thirst for killing that was never seen before in his own uh, path. He despised being a bureaucrat, like he didn't like it. He, he was appointed the Ministry of Economy in Cuba and he made disastrous decisions. Like he forced everybody to go and uh, cut sugar cane, no matter what part of the, of the economic industry you were in. Uh, teachers, engineers, architects, everybody was forced in these labor camps. And it was during these labor camps that he also tagged homosexuals and he uh, put uh, a symbol on them, like, like the Jewish star during the Holocaust, to have them distinguished from the rest of the population on their slogans like, work will make you men. Just like Hitler had, work will make you free. He had, work will make you men. He's responsible for the killing of more than 17,000 Cubans, uh, either directly killed by him or because of his orders with no previous trials. Uh, we're talking about journalists, artists, uh, entrepreneurs, people who couldn't escape, people who were never heard uh, like the, the reasons why to be, you know, against Fidel. And the most important thing, he was then betrayed by Fidel. Uh, we need to understand that Fidel Castro, once he arrives in power, even the people who were really close to him, like Camilo Cienfuegos and Che Guevara, he started getting rid of them so he could accumulate absolute power in the island. This is the reason why Che goes to Congo. He fails completely. And he, he then goes to Bolivia where he gets killed because he gets even, you know, abandoned by Fidel. Now, Fidel is very smart and he makes him this marketing product. Before you move on, so Che started off in his communist career in Cuba, and then it sounds like Fidel got a little tired of him or wanted to push him out, and then he went to go try the same thing in Congo? He tried the same thing in Congo. He tried the same thing in different African rebellious nations. But his model was like copy and paste of Cuba. So sometimes his rebellion couldn't be implemented because what happened in Cuba is that you already had a dictator who was stepping out and the military uh, abandoned. And that was Batista. But if you go with that same model to nations that have a complete different uh, idiosyncrasy and a different political atmosphere, then it's not gonna work. And that's what happened in Bolivia also. So when he finally is in Bolivia, the people who are fighting with him start betraying him. And actually it was uh, an, an indigenous uh, uh, farmer in Bolivia who went to the police to say, Che Guevara is in the mountains. Otherwise he wouldn't have gotten caught. So it was one of the people that he was supposedly helping that turned him in is what you're saying? Correct. And with no help of Fidel whatsoever, like uh, that there is where you see that for Fidel, it was more important to have Che uh, killed than to have him alive because he then can have like this marketing image that lives forever, but does not compete with him uh, in power. So the marketing image of Che's face, this started a while ago. About how long has that been going on? Oh, almost 60 years. So when the, fo the photographer that took this picture during one of the meetings in, in Cuba, he immortalized the image of Che and he actually charged 
copyright for it during decades. You know, these these communists who hate private property, except their property, of course. And now it is Chess family who uh, takes copyrights from the actual photograph and the image. So if you calculate the amount of money that has been made in the capitalist industry of putting the chest face in everything, pens, t-shirts, hats, you name it, it's a, it, it's a very good industry. You talked about the copy and paste theory. So he tried the same sort of model in Africa as Latin America. What is that, what is that model that he was using to try to spread communism? Basically, is intimidating people with force and telling them that you are on the winning side and they have two options. Either they join you in the communist revolution or they get killed. That's basically it. So even people who were, you know, uh, doubting about it um, had no alternative. The problem is that in the other countries where he where he arrived, in Africa, in Bolivia, there was not enough support for these ideas, no matter how many people got killed. And this is what frustrated him, because in Cuba, he had a whole apparatus where he could intimidate. But in all in, in these countries, there was no uh, enough organization like in the rest of Latin America with these Marxist guerrillas in order to take power. And this is what frustrated him. So in your video, you talked about how there was a certain draw to Che Guevara because he represented anti-Americanism. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, like if you if you go to the to the core of it, like what what is Che uh, so popular, so pop, so hip, so sexy? It's because he represents anti-gringos, anti-USA, right? This taking into account that the guy used to drink you know, uh, American sodas like Coca-Cola. He had Rolex. Uh, he had a mansion with sauna, with uh, uh, different uh, rooms for different things, like all the technology, five TVs, things that in certain ways come from that American capitalism. So at the same time that you despise that model, you benefit from it, right? But that's what actually chair represents is this, let's hate the United States. And it's always a hatred of the United States while being in the United States. Since the video got out, you have no idea how many Latin American people living in Los Angeles, in Houston, Texas, in Miami, are like, there's no way that Chess said that. Or people in Black Lives Matter, right? Uh, who cannot accept that Che Guevara referred to Black population as lazy, nasty drunks who didn't take showers, and who the revolution was not going to do anything for them, just like they didn't do anything for, for revolution. So you, you think, how is it that a group of African-Americans are supporting a 62-year-old, only white male dictatorship? Because in Cuba, there is no Black person in the high ranks. How is this possible? And it's because more than love for socialism, Che represents a hatred for the United States. What's interesting is there are other sort of famous evil people who hate the United States. Of course, Hitler comes to mind and everyone recognizes the Hitler face. And of course, Hitler hates the United States, but we never see T-shirts of rebels wanting to like rep Hitler stuff. And yet we see it with some communist leaders. So why, why do we treat communism different than we treat something like Nazism? Maybe because there was no Eisenhower going inside the labor camps of uh, Mao Zedong in China, 
to account for the amount of death, uh, or there was no Eisenhower going to Siberia to, you know, taking out all the, the real information and the images of the gulags and all the people that Stalin killed. Uh, and it's the same with Cuba. It is until now that the Cubans are using technology for the first time in 62 years to say, this is what's going on. They are killing us. And even though Cuban population is taking out the truth of what's going on, there are people in Black Lives Matter saying, no, that's not true. Americans saying, no, that's not possible. The, the dictatorship is amazing. So we don't have accountability for the amount of death. Of course, if you go on Google and you try to look for Holomodor images and you try to look for people killed in Siberia, you are going to find it. But unfortunately, we are dealing with generations that don't like research, that go against the bias that they already think. So when it comes to Che, no one wants to talk about the 17,000 Cubans that were killed because of him, that doesn't count. Because when you kill for socialist ideals, it's okay. When you do it for Nazi ideas, it's not that okay. So the problem is we do have images of the Holocaust. That's why it's difficult for people to wear a t-shirt of, of Hitler. And still, there are neo-Nazis. There are people with the swastika. So tell us a little bit about your shirt. And you, you mentioned that there are things going on in Cuba that a lot of people aren't aware of. So what is... what? What do you feel like is going on in Cuba that's underreported right now? I think it's happening something similar that what happened when Chernobyl happened in the Soviet Union. And they tried to, you know, uh, cover the real truth of what was going on with Chernobyl and how Chernobyl played a crucial role in the fall of the Berlin Wall. Well, the Chernobyl for the Cubans has been the COVID. Because of COVID, tourism, that was one of the, of course, state-controlled um, economic inputs for the island was completely stopped. So you don't have this famous uh, tourism for teen prostitution where little girls, you know, get sell to uh, Europeans, Americans, and Latin Americans that go there for this kind of tourism. That all stopped. And also the myth and the farce of Cuban medicine that was always seen as the most advanced medicine in all of Latin America, because of course, the dictatorship controls the data. So the data that they were always given to the United Nations was of these amazing numbers, when we actually know that medicine in Cuba does not exist for, for the citizens. So with no tourism, with an economy completely uh, paralyzed, a scarcity started to be very bad. A scarcity like never seen since the Soviet Union collapsed and Cuba was under a lot of economic stress in the 90s. Because of this, a lot of people start dying uh, in, a, in, a, in, in ratios that were incalculable. We, don't, we still don't know the, the amount of, of death that was going on. And then people start rebelling. I think it was a combination of a scarcity with we are fed up because the dictatorship is telling us that the problem is the embargo with the United States, but still there has never been a blockade for these Europeans to go to five-star hotels, for tourism, to eat lobster, to, to have all the, like all, the, all the comforts of the first-class world. 
that has never been a problem for anyone that is a foreign in Cuba. It's always only the blockade for the Cubans, which is actually implemented by the dictatorship. So people were like, we're dying. We need to get out of here. And that's what started on the July the 11th in different parts of Cuba. People started protesting in the streets, uh, rebelling with nothing. Like I, I think that it, it was a position where they had they lost everything until they lost the fear for 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 you know like not rebelling against this dictatorship. So Gloria, we're out of time, but you're making that T-shirt. Is there somewhere where people can buy it? Yeah, actually, we made this to go and protest in the Cuban embassy uh, in Mexico City, and there are other. Um, uh, places in Latin America where these protests are also happening. So if you want to know more, you can come to our social media, uh, Gloria Alvarez. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And we're trying to figure out how we can have uh, shippings outside of Mexico. But yeah. Gloria, thank you so much. Thank you, Georgia. It was a pleasure. That's the end of today's Office Hours. Make sure to tune in next week for our conversation with a new PragerU presenter. I'm Georgia Howe. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to see the video version of this show, or if you haven't seen this week's PragerU 5-Minute Video, make sure to click on the link in the description below, or head over to dailywire.com. We'll see you next Monday for a new interview with another PragerU presenter. (laughs) 